three mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 61. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruther Kiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And we have a great list of things to talk about today, don't we, We do. Yeah. And I am always surprised every time we start when we have a list of stuff to talk about <laughs> yeah. that we didn't talk about last year. Mm-hmm. Yep. And every week we're like, are we going to have enough? Yep, we do. <laughs> That's fun. All right. Well, let's. right. We're going to talk about Property Brothers that we sort of started last week. We're going to talk about um, some things I've been learning as a coach, I guess. And open education resources, and then um, just a, a kind of a success story with one of Ruth's students. So that's our plan today. I hope we get to all to, through all that because that's Me a too. good, that's a pretty good list, right? It is. All right. So tell us, remind us quickly what the idea was with Property Brothers, and tell us where you are so far with okay, that. Okay. So I have done a little investigating into Drew and Jonathan's life. They are actually so now we know their names, right? Um. The Property Brothers, who also have a band. I did not know that, but it was a little Berkeley Everett kind of wow. like, what? Yeah. Cool. Um, so my students, because their name is Property Brothers, we're going to do mathematical properties. And I'm going to do it every Monday because I'm trying to squeeze this curriculum in with everything else. So I want it to be fun, like something they're going to look forward to, something that's in context. I have provided for them a video where they're going to watch and be reminded of the properties they've learned since first grade. Okay. Commutative, associative, and identity. Is that something you found or made? No, it's something I made. Okay. Like, I've used in the past, but I'm just going to put it out there. You should watch this if you don't know the properties. Okay, good. Um, I also have some doodle notes that I am going to give to them and make them do at home with an answer key so you can spend as much or as little time on it, but it's going to be in your journal, so you have that as a reference. And then what... I really want to do is you just come in and for warm up, you read through a couple scenarios and you solve them for the property brothers, but then you list the property that you used in order to make that problem accessible, whether it became something that you were able to do mentally or your calculations were easier because you used a property. Okay. Um, so that's all great and good, but every time I've taught properties... It's just been like a list of problems. Mm -hmm. And now I'm trying to do them in context. Yeah. And not just in context, but with a, property a brothers. Context. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first one I have is rebuilding a deck and it's how many nails they need. So they need 52 for the stairs, some more for the railing and 132 for the base. So... The idea is that you would know that they need 184 plus some more, and you use the commutative property because you were able to put those two numbers together. Okay. So it, we're kind of simplifying expressions using those properties. Mm -hmm. um, and I always, I feel like this is one of those things as a teacher, I'm like, this is so easy. But students really struggle with being able to understand why they could say it's 184 like what they didn't really do anything i just added the numbers well but you had to move them so that's mm -hmm. the commutative mm -hmm. property and and maybe it makes sense 
I don't know, my brain, if a kid is like, well, why does it matter? If you think back to if this was subtraction, it would matter. And so addition and multiplication are unique in that you can change the order and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That I don't know. That might help understand the why Wait, do we how even care. How subtraction matter? Well, 11, 11 minus 7 is different from 7 minus 11. That kind of oh, thing. Oh, you're changing the order, not just changing. Yeah. Right. Okay, okay, okay. So I I did that one all by myself, but now I need help with <laughs> the associative property and the identity property. Again, context, because a lot of oh, times we just this. teach kids if there's a one and you're multiplying it, it's identity. So just go find a one. Mm-hmm. Look in the mirror or something. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's what it says on my um, on my doodle notes. Because that's a way to remember the vocabulary word that goes mm-hmm. with what you're doing. Right. So I feel like, well, after this last math test, I feel like vocabulary and helping kids remember it any way you can is important. Because I didn't put a lot of focus on product and sum and difference. And they didn't do well on that part of their algebra test because there was it was just the words. Like it, the question was, how do you write? an algebraic equation that means the product of three and Y is 12. And if you didn't know what product meant, then you wrote three plus Y is 12 or, you know. Yeah. Which is so frustrating because that should be something they know in sixth grade already. It should be. And so I feel like, you know, a ninth grade teacher is probably going to be like, that's really frustrating because commutative should be something that they know. Yeah. You know, so I have to give them yeah. something to remember those vocabulary words. Um, right. So the associative property, um, we kind of talked about like a pool because it could be the length times the width times the height, but you could change the, it's still changing the order though. Like, I don't, I don't see it that way. But, and I'm only basing this on the textbook. If I gave you the problem 30 times... 15 times 4? Well, let's say I say I gave you problem 15 times 30 times 4. And 15 times 30 is in groupings. And you wanted to do 15 times 4 because that was more accessible. Well, you changed the order... But you also change the grouping, so you use both properties. Right. I don't know that that's important. I think it's, I mean, I think a student would have to know that they used both properties. You definitely can. But the example we were working on upstairs, hold on, 30. Was 30 times 15 times times 4. And so that's why, that's why I picked the, you, you know, you said, what context can we use? And you, I mean, when we thought, talked about, I thought multiplication would be easier and you immediately said volume. So then I was like, okay, what do you ever have to know the volume of in a house? A pool. And so that's why I think you could, you could say that it was only the associative property for this one because normally you would do 30 times 15 first because it comes first in that expression. Right. But, but instead... Let's group the 15 times 4 together and do that first because... What does that get you? Get 60. you the area of one of the walls of the pool? 
Yeah, well, it's just that it gets you 60, and 60 times 30 is more accessible to do mentally than 30 times 15 and then times 4. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So it's less, I guess, less... You were regrouping the... it to make it easier to multiply in your head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out real life why the heck you want the area of a short wall of your pool. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I think if I write it, the base is 30 by 15 and the depth is 4. It even feels like 30 times 15 is grouped. Oh, yeah. And then a student may or may not... I mean, someone may do 30 times 15 and then multiply that times And maybe they do need to know the area of one of the walls um, because you've got to paint the walls or you've got to do something to one of the walls of the pool that you need to know the area of it for. And in real life, that's you would change your groupings. Well, you wouldn't have to know the whole thing. I guess you'd only be pulling a piece out. You wouldn't be changing the groupings. Never mind. So I feel like I got my associative property. So then for the identity property... Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. What if, I mean, you're not trying to make this your whole lesson, right? Right. You're trying to make it quick. Mm-hmm. So what if it's even more, I don't know, I might regret saying this, but what if it's even more targeted where it's like brother one did 30 times 15 times four, here's his work. Brother two did 15 times four first. What did the rest of his work look like? Mm. Which one, you know, which one would you do? Or like maybe it's more. Well, I have to do this for a lot of weeks. So that will definitely be. um, A lot of weeks. One of the ways you ask about it. I guess I'm just thinking get right into. Because if you don't, you're going to have a lot of cool math happening but you may not find somebody who's headed in the direction you're looking for. A lot of cool math. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if that's taking away some of the thinking. I don't think so. I think my objective is for you to name the property. So it could just be what property did Brother 2 know mm-hmm. and how did he use it kind of thing. Okay. And then for the identity property, you had a really good idea and you just said that there's something they're doing and it's a dollar per tile. So, yeah. Yeah. Is that even a reasonable price, a dollar per tile? It's, it depends on those tiles of all different sizes. Sure. So, so sure. I'm sure there's some tile that's a dollar a piece. Yeah. yeah. I thought your um, pool dimensions were reasonable. Because I Googled what is the average pool size. <laughs> that's funny. And it says that pools are twice as long as they are wide and these oh. are the three a 10 by 20 or a 15 by 30 or a 20 by 40 are the three average uh-huh. cool pools so and then we picked the four because we were trying to get 15 to be a nice number right mm-hmm. and four is a really good because five and a half is not a really nice number which is what they said <laughs> yeah pool should be yeah <laughs> so this might be a pretty shallow this is a waiting nice pool <laughs> this is a shallow pool it only right. comes up to your shoulders just a, a fun lounging pool yep okay is that are we ready to move on i think we are but i think this is a really good place for me because i already talked about the test the algebra test oh yeah tell us and so i i told my math department i'm the 
Like, I'm the bottom of the math department as far as grade level. It's a 6 through 12. Okay. I was like, so, guys, I threw you under the bus because I am not a you-must-show-your-work kind of teacher, but I understand that in algebra, subtracting something from both sides or dividing by both sides is something that students struggle with. And so I told them that this was not my rule, this was your rule, and they must show their work. And I was pleasantly surprised maybe pleasantly surprised but also like really so the problem is um 3.11 m equals 3.11 okay and i gave you a point if you knew that we were supposed to divide by 3.11 on both sides okay and then i gave you two points if you knew that m equaled one okay you would not believe how many kids knew that M equaled one, but subtracted. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, they just would like 3.11 minus 3.11 M equals one. Uh. So to me, it was like, well, this was really important because yeah. some of them really have it and some of them don't. Yeah. Um. I know it's always a little bit of a struggle when you introduce the whole like 3M and that's mm-hmm. a multiplication problem, and they have to divide. Um, and it's really hard to show them why 3 times m divided by 3 equals m when we haven't done anything with fractions. Mm. Yeah. So uh, the whole week I was just talking about, well, I have three groups, three people, and they all have the same amount, and I put them all together, and then I say, take your stuff and leave. Everybody still has the same amount. Mm-hmm. Everybody still has M. Yeah. So anyways, we did that and we did I've spent a long time on hands-on equations. Um, and I have a student who typically tests in the 30 to 40% range. Okay. And mom and dad know that. And mom and dad work really hard with her. We had a um, meeting where I was like, what else can I do? Um, it really feels like she gets it for problem number four and then you walk away and she's on problem number five and she's never been taught it. Yeah. And and you have to give yourself a lot of credit that you've been working with her outside of school. And I mean, you've been going above yeah. and beyond. So she comes to too. see me after school. Um, but this one particular day she was solving 3x plus 7 equals 4x and she had hands-on equations and she had figured out that x equals 7 and she was trying to check it and she Wait, she, 3x plus 7 equals, equals 4x oh, so it. she removed okay. those three pawns yeah. and she was left with x equals 7 and she had to check it mm-hmm. so she had to do three sevens plus another seven okay and she just she couldn't I was like, you got to put seven and seven together. And she's like, I don't know how to do that. Put seven in your head and count up seven more. And she would, you'd see her and she would be counting to seven on her fingers. And then she would just stop and look at me like she didn't know it came after seven. Mm -hmm. So the struggle has been real. And she practiced and she practiced and she did so many one-step equations where it looked like an Algebra 2 student, just a whole page, because she was subtracting on both sides, uh-huh. and then she had her work over here where she, you know, you had to do 4 plus 3. Well, she went over to the side to write 4 plus 3 so she could figure out that that equaled 
um, seven yeah. and she got a C on her math test. So I wrote her this happy note and I took a picture of it and texted it to her mom. And she came by after school and she was like, Miss E, did you hear what I got on my math test? Aww. <laughs> yeah, baby, I did. <laughs> I had heard. I, I'm I the one who part. wrote you the note Aww. and sent it to you in English class. I just took like a post-it note and was uh-huh. like, I am so proud of you. Yeah. And she opened her note and then she came to me to ask if I knew <laughs> how well she did on her math test. Oh, Ruth, did that's you cute. hear? <laughs> I did, sweetie. It was kind of like that. When I taught first grade and you would see a kid at the grocery uh-huh. store and yeah. then you would get to school and they'd be like, I saw you at the grocery store. I know. I know, baby. I talked yeah. to you. My, <laughs> my eyes work the other way, too. Oh, that <laughs> happened with me this week. Was um, So I did a we did a virtual assembly for I Love Math Day. And instead of like all going down to the auditorium, we did it through oh. Google Meet. And you don't know how many kids were like passing through the hall in the next few minutes were like, oh. <gasps> Uh, you're on the assembly. You're on the assembly. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was me. And one kid was like, was that was that live? Did you tape it? I was like, it just happened. Like, I just left the room. Like, just a second ago. We just did it. I was, I'm carrying I the was, things you watched I was use. talking to you right then. They just couldn't wrap their brain around it. <laughs> it was funny. And so that's the assembly that you made the seating arrangements for? Um... No. So we did oh, the seating arrangements. Okay. Have we talked about the seating arrangements on no, the podcast? not on the podcast. Okay, well, you'll have to sit and wonder, I guess. <laughs> um, but we did the first one we did live in the room because to kick it off. And then the next two, as I introduced the challenges, we're going to do um, each. We're going to do virtually. Oh, I had. Wait, were you done? T- you No, I was done. Okay, because it made me think of another thing to talk yeah, about. Yeah, go ahead. Which is as I was trying to pick my new challenges for week two and week three, it's a tough task to pick something that would work for our huge range of students. You know, I have students working on who are in third grade who are, let's be honest, working below grade or, you know, sh- testing below grade level all the way up to kids working on sixth grade math who are testing on seventh or eight, like in a seventh or eighth grade level. That's a huge range when it comes to math to, uh, to give a challenge that everybody, you know, low floor, high ceiling. That's pretty, that's pretty big. <laughs> it was like, it's a big room. Yeah, it's a big room. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't even, you know, I've, I've, for doing this for five years, there's, you've, I've looked at a lot of the things that are out there, you know, and a lot of the problems are just like, recycled in a different package you know it's it's just different it might be sheep this year and it might be you know dogs this year and whatever um but i'll put a plug in i went ahead and i can't believe i didn't hadn't done this before but i joined nctm Uh, our school used to pay for it and then they're like "Eh, not doing that anymore and so i sort of drug my feet and paying for it not really um and i joined and Dagon, they have a humongous like um, resource of problems really? of the week, or you know, yeah, they're really, really good. They're really well written. Um, I was just like, oh, this is fantastic. There were so many really good ones. I just have to have one that doesn't have a lot of text because the second that it would take me too long to explain it, and then that gets even more complicated. And anyway, so I have to narrow them down to ones with a small amount of text, and then ones that everybody can understand. So. It took me a while to find them, but daggone, they're just more and more and more and more to read through. So I would put in a plug to join NCTM, and that's one of the really strong um, benefits. Um, Yeah. Okay. So pie. All right. 
So this were PIE. I was in a um, coaches meeting for our division and both the literacy and instructional coaches were there. So the literacy coaches in our division course do reading and then the instructional coaches do everything else. And they kind of can based on what school they sort of have a different focus, um, the instructional coaches. Anyway, they they were talking about how the, what? It just reminds me of, never mind, it'll be, it'll get us way off topic. Okay. Keep going. Um, so they, they were talking about how our, in Virginia, our reading test is getting, is new and it's getting a lot more rigorous and it's going to be harder this particular year. Like we have new, new SOLs standards of learning. And they were talking specifically about author's purpose. And they were like, one of the ladies was like, yeah, I'm still seeing teachers use pie. Pie is out. Don't we all know that? And I leaned over to like, or, and she said P-I-E. So I knew that, that it was some sort of algorithm, um, algorithm, thank you, acronym. Mm-hmm. And I, and I leaned over to Courtney. I was like, what's pie? What does that mean? And she couldn't, I'm, I'm going to probably mess up the words, but it was like the the author's three purposes. Ha, have you heard of this before, Mm-mm. Pi? Okay, so here we're going to let Jade Google it real fast because he'll be – get it right. Well, you're supposed to keep talking so that I can look smart when I get this thing right. Um. <laughs> All right, the PIE is persu- – the, the different components of author's purpose expressed with the acronym Pi, to persuade, to inform, and to entertain. Oh. Or, or to entertain. Okay, so what I'm guessing is in the past, you would see a question like, here's a paragraph, is what's the author's purpose? Persuade, inform, or entertain. And I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. And they were explaining, or I guess I was inferring maybe, that it's much more complex than that. Like the author's purpose, an an author's purpose question is not going to just ask which one of these three simple words is it. It's going to ask you know, if it's persuade, like some details about what they're trying to persuade you to do. They're going to be more in depth. And I'm there sitting there thinking, oh, this happens in math all the time. If I was a new teacher and I saw on my curriculum, I have to teach author's purpose, what am I going to do? I'm probably going to Google author's purpose and what's going to pop up. Probably a whole bunch of Pinterest, um, what are those things called? Anchor charts. And it's and three of them are going to have pers- persuade, inform, and inform, entertain. entertain. And I'm going to go. Oh, that's cool! What a good way to think about it. Bing, we're going to do that tomorrow. I even found a sweet little chart that you can hang up on your wall from Teachers Pay Teachers. Yeah, exactly. And it's got pictures of pie. And then you're like, oh, I'm using a. This is great. Other people use this, you know. And then over here is the coach going, you know, facepalm, don't use pie. That's so <laughs> 10 years ago, you know. Um, Nobody uses pie anymore. Yeah, really. And 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 I'd never even heard of pie, you know. And that made me immediately think of cubes for w- word problems. And mm-hmm. and like you, I just had this realization of you can't fault people for what they don't know. Right. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And you... That was deep. Yeah. And you know better, do better. All those things that we say, like, here I am, been teaching for a lot of years, and I wouldn't have known any better with this. So it just reminded me, like, give people grace. And, I mean, their explanation was immediate. I immediately accepted their explanation. Like, oh, I get that. It's too simple. 
and and we need to be more rigorous and okay so yeah also have to explain why and I think some people are going to accept it some people are going to be like no I've done that for 10 years I can't let it go what? Anyway, people do that. Yeah, I wrote a song about pie. I know exactly, <laughs> exactly. I wrote a song fifteen years ago. You, you got anything to say about that? Here. That was just my no, no. I think that's. I mean, I think it happens, and I think it's important for coaches to remember. That's why you're there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I needed that coach to tell me that that's not rigorous enough right and so if that's your job then you have to be able to do it in a way that doesn't make the teacher who didn't know feel like she should because how should she yeah exactly right yeah um which kind of goes into the next thing i wanted to share one of the things when we were talking i think it was in the new year's podcast about how i wanted to be less intimidating and one of this so how's that going so far well, I think I'm going to share a positive, okay. I think. <laughs> um, I Wasn't it you guys who told me, it might have been you, that said, like, take something? Because you were talking about oh. Patty, who we used to work with, who would always give you something. Mm-hmm. And you were like, take something. That's less scary and people really appreciate it. And so I did that with a unit this week um, who had expressed, like, yeah, we have all these plans that have been, they have a prescribed, this particular unit has a prescribed curriculum for them and they're like yeah these are great but Sunday night at 9pm where am I going to find beans you know like they just the the materials was a problem for them Um, and I'm like I'll help you with that you know like all these things that you're thinking you can't find they're in our building you just have to know where to look and um, I'm in a unique place to know where all the stuff is you know where a lot of the stuff or who to ask and I'm not afraid to ask Um, so I brought them materials for like four days of their little math station center kind of thing. And they like ate it up. It was great. They were really thankful. Um, and yeah, every, I, and my evidence that they liked it is that, um, some Fridays, not every Friday, but some Fridays, a random teacher will start a Friday shout out email chain to the whole staff and say, shout out to this person. And so, and then the next person will say, shout out to this person. And they kind of keep oh it going. It's, a, it's not as bad as you think because there's not a ton of people. Yeah. And, and I I mean, I felt real good because I got, I mean, I was, they shouted out to me. You were the subject me. of the shout I was. And I felt like, oh, you know, you never know how people are taking what you're bringing. <laughs> but see, I'm even thinking about all the supplies that I have in my closet. Yeah. Right. And if someone were to have gone through my closet and found what I needed and just had it like this is what you need like wow you know I would have appreciated that and I have access to it so yeah yeah. I get that there's a couple little things that I just made you know like I don't know I just was and and in a very short amount of time I did not spend hours on this I probably spent 30 minutes on Mm -hmm. the rummaging through the building kind of thing and and it made a big impact so I'm told that I'd do it again for them. And then they were like, but you're not going to do this all the time for us, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. In two weeks from now, we're all going to take one day and we're all going to prepare for one day and pass the materials out to each other and share the work. They were like, okay, okay, we can do that. So, yay. That's awesome. Success. Thanks for the suggestion. Way to go. So also at that coaches meeting, um, Open education resources came up because we are, we have a um, 
like an email that comes out every week from our Department of Education with different links. And it was one of the links on there. And I guess they were just highlighting it, but nobody really knew what it was about. And I had heard Jay talk about this idea of open education resources before. And so I, the like, I could kind of explain it. And I, but I, the only real info I could say was that I know this is a lot more popular in higher ed and it's kind of working its way down into um, K-12 and it's a real thing. Um, it's a big idea that's coming and that's about all I could say. <laughs> so Jay has done a little more research than us about it. So we were hoping, Jay, you could fill us in and then we could try to talk about what that looks like for maybe K-5 or K-8 math. So okay. what is open education? Open what education. are open education resources? Open educational resources are um, resources. A lot of times we think of textbooks. There are other there are other resources out there, you know, activities, labs, um, different resources that you can use. But I'm going to focus on textbooks because that's what most people think about. Okay. And open means that they are not copyrighted. They are open and free for people to use. Um and also open and free for people to rearrange or edit for their own purposes. Okay. Um, so when you buy a textbook from a company, and keep in mind that I work in higher education and I am an open educational resources contact with my university um, and, you know, a, a group, um, Virginia Academic Libraries. It's not, it doesn't really serve um K-12, it serves the higher ed okay. libraries. So I have, you know, a fair bit of experience in looking for them and helping people understand them and, and work with them, but not in the K-12 realm. So some of this, for instance, in higher ed, you're, you're concerned about the cost of textbooks for your students. Right. In elementary school, the student doesn't care how much a textbook costs because they're not having to pay for it. Yeah. So that's a little bit because one of the biggest, one of the big pushes is cost for students to purchase textbooks. And that's one of the big pushes for this. But it also enables, gives resources for teachers to take, you know, reassemble, create different stuff, edit, you know, basically take resources that are out there, either use them whole, you know, complete off the shelf or take and manipulate them to meet their their class needs or, the, you know, what the outcomes that they have. Okay. And normally you would not be able to, you know, pull, you know, just take a page or, you know, a section from this textbook and a section from this textbook and use those with your students. They would have to purchase this whole textbook and purchase this whole textbook. Okay. Um, and so it gives, you know, cost savings and flexibility. And that's one of the, it's a push. A lot of places in, in, in K-12, not in K-12, in, in higher ed, especially for like this community college area where students are already, um, you know, probably, you know, a lot of those students are, are, would not be able to afford, you know, going to a, maybe a four-year university and also are not going to be able to afford, you know, there are a lot of those students, it's just a different, different type of student that are, are more concerned and end up dropping out because they can't afford textbooks. Okay. okay. Um, but there's several different places that I know of that you can go and find um, open textbooks. So there's, there are... They're free for that, but they're also free of charge to use the resources. You don't have to pay to use the resources from this textbook. Now, some of these, some resources will print a textbook and deliver it to you, and you do have to pay then because you're paying for 
the paper and the printing charge and delivery. But oftentimes, open educational textbooks that you get a printed copy, um, sometimes students with you know different you know visual needs or other things have to have a printed copy and can't use one on the computer. That textbook would cost you like thirty to fifty dollars instead of a hundred and fifty dollars or two hundred dollars. So you're just paying for the printing and not for the you know like the intellectual property that you would for okay. a regular textbook. Um, there are several places that that I know to look. Um, OER Commons, OER for Open Educational Resources. Okay. OER Commons is a website, um, and they do have they do have resources for. Um, K twelve, even lower edu, even like into primary and and, edu- and elementary. Um, unfortunately for us, they do not have a, a specific standard that aligns with Virginia state standards. They have yeah. a couple other states, and they have Common Core. But for those of people that that are you know on Common Core standards, you can find resources that align with Common Core standards. So you can search them. Out. I mean, what's it called again? OER Commons. Okay. OERcommons.org, and we'll put this in the notes. And they have, you know, just a search, you know, what are you looking for? And you can search by subject, education level, standard. And and even even if you're not in a common core state, you can, you know, sure. sometimes you can find the, the, the standards that align and use yeah. that. Another resource that I have used a lot um, is called OpenStax. And they provide, or they have like, I would say published, not published, but, but peer-reviewed textbooks. Um, and they, you know, you can find different math, science. As far as I've been able to find, they start at upper middle school into high school. They don't start in elementary school. Okay. Um, like looking at math books, they have pre-algebra, algebra, trigonometry, pre-calculus, statistics. So they have they have you know books and you know resources that for K twelve, but not elementary school that I've been able to find. I haven't looked through all of the you know other um, disciplines or the other areas, but. Yeah. That's what I want to find. I did look at the, and it's called the Virginia Department of Education, and it's called Go Open VA is their initiative for, that, for open resources. That's the site that sparked all this at our mm-hmm. particular meeting. It was a link to this. And I'm pretty sure just based like, like, I'm pretty sure based on their search engine and their search feature that they are probably tying into the same search or the same database as OER Commons is. I know with... Viva, which is the Academic Libraries Consortium that I that I interact with, they also have a search feature that that looks the same way and looks like it's tied to the same um, database. So it's a it's a common database out there that you can find, and it has you know this is I would say here you're finding not necessarily textbooks but activities or lessons or things that you can. So it's um, really like I'm looking at this OER Commons, and there's a lot of stuff from. Illustrative math, mathematics, mm-hmm. um, which this is a great place, like a a starting point per se. And then you're like, oh, illustrative math, I've never heard of that. What else do they have? And when you go there, you've got a lot more resources. So it's 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 a place where they've compiled everything that is solid education resources for task and that kind of yeah. stuff. And I'm going to say that I got, I did the same exact search on this one that you did, OER Commons and the Go Open VA. I did the same search for fractions, upper elementary, math, you know, 
and I got I did get a lot more when I searched at OER. So it must be pulling from more sources. Like there are quite a few authored by just a, what appears to be individuals. There's still a lot from illustrative mathematics, but there are others. So, and a lot of a lot of resources are where they they provide open elect. I mean, open educational resources. They do focus on well in in higher ed. One of the big drawbacks is is faculty members see that they're not, you know, they're not from the, a trusted publishing company or a trusted, you know, this and that, and they think they're they're low quality or they're not they're not quality. Yeah. Um, and most of these places, you know, like OER Commons, you're just searching a database, and you know, you know, and you need to look and see, you know, who created that. Right. But OpenStax and some of these places that actually will um, provide the textbooks, most of those places, you know, they they make an effort to have their content peer reviewed. Um, I know, again, the the library consortium that I work with, they um, pay college faculty a small stipend to review other open textbooks so that they, you know, can get feedback, that person can get feedback, and that uh, Viva has a little more confidence in the resources that they are providing or, or advertising or, or, you know, sharing, um, that it's not just you know, something somebody threw up on teachers pay teachers and it and everybody starts using it without checking it. Yeah. So one of the main questions when I kind of briefly explained what this was at this meeting, immediately a teacher was like, well, why would anybody do that? Why would, you know, like, why would somebody share their work for no money? <laughs> like they just couldn't wrap their brain around that mainly because of what, Teacher pay te- I think it has a lot to do with what teacher pay teacher has, you know, in K-12, like you have this great idea and it's your own idea. Well, you should make some money off of it. So why why would a teacher want to participate? Because ideally teachers became teachers to help students and offering open resources to students, you know, and, and again, it's a different, it's a it's a different situation in K-12 because the students are not concerned with how expensive the resources are, but it enables the teachers to find more quality resources to take, use, analyze, mix into their, into their curriculum mm-hmm. um, that, you know, most of these places, like I said, try to assure quality more than just finding something. You know, if you're looking to bring something in that's not in your own head, if it is in your own head and sharing it out to others, and this is very common, you know, in higher ed circles, people don't want to, you know, this is mine. I created it. A lot of times I find with higher ed, it's more of a, you know, not sharing, not because they want to make money on it, but because this is my work and I don't want to share my, you know, I worked hard for this. And so this is going to stay under my name and I'm not gonna let other people use it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think people slowly are, are realizing that that aspect and that mindset doesn't help doesn't help the students. It yeah. helps it helps your students. You yeah. know, you may have sixty students a semester, or you know, a hundred students a semester, but you know, more if you teach big old classes. But think of the impact of you know that your quality resources could have on other people that can't afford textbooks or you know can't. That's that's a barrier to to a lot of students. So I can only think about the conversation we had with Berkeley Everett when you said to him, you have these really great resources and they're free. 
And his response was, I, I mean, I think he was trying to be humble. So he could have said, but I just want people to use it. I just care about the kids, which I think is true. But his reply was that when you put a price on it and you sell it, there's an expectation of perfection, right? And like, let's be honest, you and I steer away from teachers pay teachers because we've been burned. Yeah. You know, like I bought this and you totally have the wrong problem on here. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of stuff, which if it was free... I probably would have been like, oh, I can edit that. But because I paid, even though, you know, I paid a dollar for it or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's that sense of it's got to be perfect. But if you put it out there like this is kind of what I've started, how can you make it better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been looking at the illustrative mathematics stuff and which appears to be the the from my perspective, which is based a lot on Twitter, has appears to be the leader in, like, K-12 open education resources for math. And, and, I, and I can see that there are others. For example, Eureka, I realized, is what used to be called Engage New York. It appears that those are, like, hmm. renamed. Um, Eureka Great Minds, I think, is used to be Engage New York. Anyway, I, I feel like illustrative mathematics is appearing to be the leader in this new idea. Or maybe it's not new. Maybe it's just now reaching. I think it's just slow. Yeah. I mean. Um, and But so to go back to that idea of perfection and editing and iterations and everything. So it's finally making its way to K-5 in a broader scope. And they're asking for it's it's called I am K-5 math beta. Like they're asking for people to kind of do it on a trial basis and then give them feedback. So they're and, and they've already had a first group of people that are piloting. Now they're asking, I think, for a wider group to pilot it. Um, and then I guess it'll go to like, here it is. It's ready to go. Um, man, I, I think I would. I'm not sure. I have to read a little bit more. But I think if I was in the classroom, I'd want to give it a try. You know, I like I like what I see. I like what I see from the people who write for them, you know, write for them, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, like some of the um, authors. I just I like what they post. Um, and how many times have you been on a textbook selection committee? And, you know, not liked any of it or liked one teeny part of this one and one part of that one and one part of this one. But no single textbooks yeah, choice good point. is is good at all. Mm-hmm. And in this way, you can, you know, I say shop, but usually not for any money, a la carte and pick this, you know, this approach to this and this approach to this and this approach to this. And, yeah, for lazy people, that's not as easy. But... For people that are really trying to put this together and are, and are interested, you know, and you bring in the best resources and the best approaches to mm-hmm. your to your students. Yeah. Ruth, have you used anything that you know is from this curriculum, Illustrative Mathematics? So I'm maybe. I mean, can I tell you right now? No. But I'm looking at it like I definitely have seen. This is, but I've definitely seen this font. Like, format, I've, yeah. yeah. Like, I've printed something from this page, but I don't know 
what it is. And that's another thing, like you said, lazy people. Well, sometimes I'm like thinking about at this point, I'm like listening to last year's podcast. What did I do? Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that again because that's good. And so I don't spend the time to look for something new because, I mean, I'm not going back 10 and 15 years and using the same thing, but I don't spend as much time this year looking for new stuff as I did last year. Because, because you've already worked on improving it. Right. And I think that's different. That's not lazy. That's you have worked on building, you know, a, a set of resources and a set of, of, you know, a procedure through, you know, through studying and through, you know, already finding those best things. So right. I don't think that's lazy. That's just using something quality that you've already built. So what's our, what's our like next step or challenge or question to people? I don't know. What are we? We'll see if anybody that, that listens, you know, has experience using open educational resources. See if other states or other school divisions have started an initiative sooner or have already started, you know, on this on this tr- trail. You know, again, teachers don't care how much a textbook series costs a division. Um, and sometimes divisions don't care if the money comes from some other source, but Oh, that money comes from somewhere. Yeah. That money could be used for something else. I mean, it's not. <laughs> According to our division, if it's for textbooks, it can't be spent on anything else. Well, they say that... but that money exists in somebody's bank account yeah. somewhere that could be used for something this, else. The state, could, I think that they always say that it come, that rule comes from the state and the yeah. state could decide. Exactly. The state could say, you know, this money is for you. If you want to use it for textbooks, go for it. If you know, if there's a more important need in your division, then how about use it for that? Yeah. Um, this is, there's a very, very poignant scene from the West Wing that the same thing came up and that, you know, we have some states and some districts have very specific use for how the money can be used and not using it for that doesn't mean it just gets thrown in the trash. I mean, it can get you, it can be used for something else that, mm-hmm. You may not see that exact, you know, the school may not see exactly how it's used or the teacher may not see how it's used, but it's saving money somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we should also get, and without mentioning that Desmos has a new middle school pilot. Ruth, did you read about that at all? I I did. I I mean, it's for seventh and eighth grade. So you probably were like, okay, not me. Um, and I, and at first I, they have a, it says, we're looking for a small set of 7th and 8th grade teachers um, to pilot access to our complete middle school curriculum, part paper, part computer, and full of fantastic learning experiences for middle school math students from start to finish. The more It turns out, like, you, you do scroll down and you realize that you're paying something and they don't really tell you what. Um, can you, do you, So do you call that open education resources if you're paying for something? I would say if you're paying access to resources, it's not open unless – now, there's another, there's another level of things called, you know, low-cost resources that sometimes um, I know community colleges will switch to – you know, will use something. Consider a low-cost resource, which is less expensive for students. But if you have to pay just to have access to it, I don't think that's considered open resources. And because I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't let you then take their content, remix it. And distribute it to your division or that I kind see. of thing. That's what open open is, you know, 
ideally no cost, and usually that's what it means, but also the ability to change the content and you know revise it or add to it or mix it with another one and redistribute it um, again, not for pay, but redistribute it to your students yeah. or out there for other people to use. And I'm betting that's not the case. If you have to pay to get access to it, they're probably not going to let you do that to it. So this uh, under features from I'm reading this off of the Desmos website, we're adapting the widely adopted, highly rated and openly licensed curriculum authored by Illustrative Mathematics in collaboration with and published by Open Re- Open Up Resources. So they're they're it appears that they're starting with illustrative mathematics and they're kind of pairing their tool with that. Well, I guess it depends on if they are charging you access to their tool and you're not paying for access to those resources. The, mm-hmm. those, Cause that's, that's a big, that's a big no, no is to take someone else's open resources. You, you put in your magic, your, you know, your magic to it and then charge somebody for it. Yeah. Um, now they are they are probably specifically finding a way so that you're not char- you're not paying for resource those open resources you're paying for their tool that that works alongside those resources. Right. Yeah, like you're paying for the how to I guess how to use Desmos to support these things that are already out there. That's what I would we've say is built the case. we've built in what we love and added features that we're excited to share with you. That's what it says. And that sounds that sounds really close to the line of which of which you're not supposed to do with open educational resources. Yeah. Well, somebody wants to reach out and help us understand the yeah. the gray area. We're I don't know. We're not trying to get like we're not trying to get whatever that is. Um, well, we weren't. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just trying to understand it. Like yeah. I, I'm trying to understand what word- open education resources means, and then how does where does this fit into it. Um, yeah, and, and and I think it, it's broad, and it's not. I mean, it's it's not the easiest thing to understand because it's something people haven't. I mean, it's not an it's not a common experience that people had when they were in college, learned to be teachers, or when they started teaching. And it's new and developing, like mm-hmm. it's changing. And my kids are in college, and they still pay a whole lot of money for their textbooks. Yeah, yeah. it's it's it has not. You know, it has not caught on huge. There's there are several you know, organizations out there that are trying to push it and trying to make it more, more accessible. We have, you know, I have a handful of faculty that, and a lot of, a lot of the faculty at, 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 at our, my university, are math faculty that have created their own textbooks. Now cool. they are not releasing them open. Um, and that could be for a number of reasons. And I'm not going to try to guess, but a lot of our math faculty have, you know, taken examples that they've used over the years and assignments that they've used over the years and that they've taught and are not requiring students to go out and buy an outside textbook. Cool. I have a genetics professor who is using OER to create her own genetics textbook because she can't find one that, that, you know, fits and, and does what she wants. So she has found several different biology textbooks and pulled chunks from these different OER textbooks and she's in the process of creating her own. All right. Well, what takeaways do we have today, friends? Hey, guys, this is Jay. Real quick, this next section I talk about um, how much water it takes to fill up a swimming pool. And upon looking back at some information, I realized I was using an old article, like 20 years old. Now, instead of the, you know, instead of the final total for whatever, you know, it costs to fill up a swimming pool, it really is these days 
about $60, which still isn't a lot of money. Um, but that just goes to show you need to check information, check your sources, and check the date on your article. All right. I've got one. Okay. So <clears throat> this is kind of relatively large numbers, but relevant with okay. Jay today. <laughs> it just struck me when you, we were talking earlier about the swimming pool. And you said a swimming pool that was 13, 30 by 15 and then four feet deep. And those were numbers that you, you know, partly you picked from what pool sizes are and partly picked would be easy math. But I did the math as you guys were talking about that. And that would make the pool uh, 1,800 cubic feet. Okay. Is that, did I do the math right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I used a calculator. Um, <laughs> and when you convert that to gallons is 13,464 and 94 hundredths of a gallon. So <laughs> okay, basically 1,300, no, 13,500 gallons. Okay. I don't know if I said that wrong earlier, but 13,500 gallons estimate. So that's a lot of water. Yeah. When you think of, you know, how much water is in a swimming pool. I know when we worked at a summer camp years ago, the swimming pool there was larger. Yeah. And I remember the estimate, it was 52,000 gallons of water in that, in that swimming pool. But, and so I'm thinking 13,000 gallons of water, how much, I know some places you will, they will get either because of the supply or, you know, I thought it was cost or whatever of like filling up your swimming pool with your garden hose will purchase water, like delivery, like big trucks full of water will come and put them into your yeah. pool. So and you and we were, we were on a well when we were there. And so getting from a well would, could drain it, in, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. And um, while it's, it's free water that way other than the electricity to work, work the pump, um, sometimes you, there's your, your supply can't hold on. Anyway, so I was looking, I wonder what it cost to fill a, a swimming pool from Ooh. your hose. Oh, I thought you were going to say like to get it in a truck. Okay, <clears throat> well, I looked in on. there, I couldn't find, you know, I think prices are all over the place. It depends on where you live. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything quickly this morning. But I did find that the average cost for water in the United States, if you're just buying from your local utility, uh -huh. is... A dollar fifty for a thousand gallons of water. Whoa, that's less than a penny a gallon, or you know, it's wow. it's ridiculous. I mean, it's tiny how much you pay for water coming out of here. Yeah, to fill up a thirteen thousand gallon pool would be just over twenty bucks. <laughs> now that's average. There, I'm sure there are places where that's not the case, and there may be there may be regulations against that. And in certain people cities. pay twenty bucks for a case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fancy. And this is, you know, average water. across the U.S. And that doesn't include other fees and taxes, I'm sure, in your water bill. And, you know, don't write me <laughs> up saying that's not true and you didn't take in all the account, all the facts. But I think, you know, we don't we don't think about, you know, right away I was like, oh, yeah, you would just buy a truck to fill it up because you don't want the expense of, you know, paying water out of your hose. And and while certain cities may have regulations against that so you don't hit their supply so hard. um, that's, I mean, 20 bucks to fill up a pool? Yeah. You're wow. You're kidding me. <laughs> huh. Well, that was good. Yeah. That was very relevant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Is it relevant numbers with Jay. Yes. That's right. One good one. So that leads me into my takeaway because I could provide that information for the students during the warm-up. Mm, yeah. If it's $1.50 for 1,000 gallons and there's this many gallons in a cubic foot, how are you going to solve that? Yeah. You know, how because much, how much is it going to cost to fill the pool? Yeah. Because I do have, 
I do have some students who would take that challenge, even if it's just one or two mm-hmm. students in each class. Cool. So. I think my takeaway is just to try these search engines more. You know, um, in particular, the one you shared about OER Commons. Mm-hmm. It, like when I just searched fractions, I was like, "Ooh, I want to look at that. I want to look at that. Oh, yeah, there's so much. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. And and we have to be um, critical consumers, like Bethany Lockhart said. Yes. You know, you have to th- you have to really look at it. It's not just like, oh, this is for sure good because it's on this website. Um, but, you know, it's a it's another place to start. It, I, like, I think it's a better place to start than Google or Pinterest. Yeah. And I like that it's lesson plans, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you know how you search Google or you search Teacher by Teachers and you're going to get, like, activities or worksheets or anchor charts. You know, those are the things you get – I'm I'm feeling like you might get tasks more often going this route. Right. You know, or things that can be edited into tasks. So it's going to be my, I'm going to try it out in, in recent, you know, in coming days of when people are looking for something. Hey, have you tried this place? So, all right. Good questions that led to a lot of information. Thanks, huh. Jay, for being our OER expert over there. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> all right. Well. I'll see you tomorrow on a run. We got a new route, Ruth. I know, with hills. With hills. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. See ya.